Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for July 7th, 2019. Today, Brother Omar brings us a message titled, Doctrine of Salvation, Perseverance. Now, Brother Omar says that some may think the Christian faith is passive and requires only a surface belief in God. But the Bible gives us admonitions and exhortations to preserve and continue in the faith, to not look back and to press on forward. But what does this mean to us as Christians? And what about those who fall away? Join us as we begin our study on the doctrine of perseverance today on Followers of the Way. So we are continuing on the doctrine of sanctification, and we're going to be speaking on perseverance. If you guys remember last time we were, well, my last sermon, last time was Pastor Bolden preaching, but my last sermon I talked a little bit about the means of grace and how the Bible calls us to live a particular way of life, right? The, the New Testament gives us commands, gives us rules, gives us all of these different things that we as Christians need to obey, need to follow, etc. And so today I'm going to speak a little bit on the exhortations and admonitions that the Bible gives us to continue doing those things. In other words, the New Testament is not like once you're in, you're good to go type of thing. It's, you know, you, you're supposed to have faith and persevere in that faith and persevere in doing the things that God commands us to do. And so by perseverance, we mean all of these different exhortations and admonitions that are given to us in the scriptures to not look back, to push forward, to continue on, etc. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about this. There's going to be probably about two more sermons after this, and we're going to get into some quote-unquote controversial issues, or things that Christians disagree, etc. So let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. I'm going to give you some examples of the exhortations that are given to us in Scripture. And that's Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Okay, Colossians 1:21 says this. And you, who once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Okay? So, the Apostle Paul says this, we were once alienated, that is separated from God, hostile in our minds, doing evil deeds, and God has reconciled us in his body of flesh in order to present us holy and blameless uh, before him and above reproach, if, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation. So, if is a condition, meaning the things that he said that were going to happen to you will happen if, indeed, you continue in the faith. So that is an exhortation to continue in the faith. This is coming from the Apostle Paul. So he says this, if you do these things, then these other things are going to be true in your life. So... For example, famous verse from the Bible, 2 Chronicles 7.14, right? If my people 
were called by my name, repent and so forth, and I will heal their land. Well, the implication is if my people don't do that, right, then the other stuff, will, the land will not be healed, right? That's the implication. And so we have in this verse an exhortation to continue in the faith. And I love it because he actually says continue in the faith, okay? In other words, you're not just coming in, you know, a lot of people understanding is I got saved in a church back in 1987 and that's all I've ever done in my life, okay? That's not a description of a Christian life. A description of a Christian life is I got saved in 1987 and then there, there has to be a growth, there has to be a continuing in the faith all throughout. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. This is an exhortation to a pastor, to a minister, to a leader, and to all of us. He says this, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. So the instruction to Timothy is to persist, to keep a close watch on himself and, interestingly enough, his teaching. So teaching is just as important, proper understanding of the Bible is just as important in persevering as it is to actually persevere in holiness and in doing right things. So this is one of the few of many exhortations in the Bible. In the book of, you can read the whole book of Revelation to you and that would be a whole exhortation. But in the book of Revelation, we have these letters. You know, the book of Revelation essentially is a letter to be sent out to these different churches. And if you go through uh, Revelation, you have all of these different exhortations. For example, Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. This is to the church in Ephesus. He says this, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In verse 11, chapter 2, this is uh, to the church in Smyrna, says to the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Uh, to the church of Pergamon, he says, this is in verse 17, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives this. To the church in Thyatira, this is uh, verse 26, to the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. To the church of Sardis, this is in chapter 3, verse 5, he says, to the one who conquers, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blood his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. To the church in Philly, Philadelphia, chapter 3, verse 12. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. To the church in Laodicea, this is verse 21, chapter 3, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So all of these admonitions are given specifically to these seven churches. I don't want to get into the whole issue of what these churches are, what do they represent, etc. But nevertheless, the application of these admonitions apply to, to us in the sense that we are admonished to persevere. That's what he says, what he means when he says to him that conquers, to him that persevere, I will give this or that, okay? So 
these are a few of many of the verses in the New Testament that exhort and even uh, command Christians to continue on and persevere in the faith. Now, before I got any further, I want to make a couple of points, okay? Number one, the Christian life is a life of holiness and perseverance, okay? We've seen that from the scripture. But it is also a life of repentance and mercy, Okay, Martin Luther, you guys remember Martin Luther, the guy who nailed 95 theses in the church castle in Winterberg in Germany back in 1517. And he began the Protestant Reformation. Okay, well, the number one thesis of the 95 theses says this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed that the entire life of the believers to be one of repentance, okay? When Jesus says, repent, he says, what he means is that your entire life as a believer would be a life of repentance. Meaning repentance is not something that you do one time and then you're good to go, but that your entire life needs to be a life of repentance, okay? First John chapter two. Verse 1, he says this, My little children, he says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's the purpose of the letter of 1 John. Okay? I'm writing these things so you stop sinning, so you don't sin. Okay? I don't want you sinning. And he goes on to say, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I don't want you to sin. I'm writing these things to you so you can persevere in the faith, so you can have victory over sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is, he goes on to say, the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So, very interesting thing here, the word propitiation is a Greek word, I believe it's hilasterion, I believe is the Greek word, and it basically means, among many things, it is the uh, word that is used to describe the mercy seat. You go to the Old Testament, you have the Ark of the Covenant, which lied in the Holy of Holies, and then the lid had two uh, angels were called uh, the cherubims, okay? And that was known as the mercy seat, okay? So once a year, you had a day of atonement where the priest, the high priest, would go in there and he had to make atonement for himself first, okay? Because he needed to cleanse himself to approach. And then he will make an atonement for all the people and he will spill the blood on the top of the lid. And that was known as the mercy seat because God would now take the blood of the bull in exchange, right, as a substitution for the blood of the people. He made a, a substitution. He made an atonement. Well, that was known as the mercy seat. It was the seat of mercy. Because before it was the seat of mercy, it was a judgment seat. Because if the priest didn't have it all together when he went in there, he would drop dead. And they had a little rope tied to his uh, leg, so they would drag him out. Okay, Johnny, you're next. You better get it together. <laughs> you see what happened to the other guy. So that was the judgment seat, but when the blood 
When an atonement was made, that was the mercy seat. So what he is saying is that Christ is our mercy seat. So I write these things so you may not sin, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate. We have a defender with the Father, and he is our mercy seat. He is our atonement, okay? He has made propitiation for us, and he is the righteous one, okay? Not only for us also, but for the sins of the whole world, okay? And by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. So you see how in the Bible, even in the exhortations, even in the commands to live holy, there is always the grace of God and repentance, okay? So, in your strife towards holiness and perseverance in the faith, you must remember, and we must remember, that our failings and weaknesses, and that part of perseverance is getting up when we fall and repenting. That's what Martin Luther means. Part of perseverance is that. When you do fall, you get up and you repent because there's grace available to you, Hebrews chapter 4, 4, verse 14. The 16 says this, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So we have Jesus is the mercy seat. Jesus is the high priest. This is all Old Testament language, by the way. All the Old Testament ceremonial rituals were all a picture of Christ. So he is our high priest. And he is righteous and perfect, tempted as we are, yet without sin. He is able to sympathize with your weaknesses. Whatever your weaknesses are, he knows. Because he's been here like we have been. He's faced the world like we faced the world. There used to be this song. What's the name of that song? What if God was one of us? Remember that? Mm. Well, God was one of us, lady, whoever, you, whoever wrote that. God was one of us. And he came down and he lived the life that we lived, tempted in every way, yet without sin. So if people uh, offend you, guess what? They offended him. If people talk bad behind your back, guess what? They talk back behind his back. If you've been betrayed, guess what? He's been betrayed. If you've been uh, beaten and jumped, he's been beaten and jumped too. In every single way that we as human beings can be tempted, have been tempted, he was tempted yet without sin so he can sympathize with our weaknesses. And furthermore, because of that, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So he lived the way that we lived, yet he did not sin. When he says with confidence, that's interesting because the word there, confidence, 
you know, when you go to a doctor or something, you go to that particular person because you are pretty confident that that person is going to do or knows to do what you need be done, right? You take a car to a mechanic, you trust him that this dude knows what he's doing. Well, if you live in Florida, it's a 50-50 chance, but most mechanics. But anyways, but you're trusting that this person knows that he can handle the job. Well, go with confidence to the throne of grace because Christ can handle the job. He can handle your sin. He can handle your failings, okay? And so he has lived the life that we live, and he has been mocked, betrayed, disrespected. He has been tempted to sin in all ways as we have been, and he did not sin. So he can sympathize. He can relate with us when we struggle. And he is our advocate, our mercy seat, and our high priest. So come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in a time of need. Now, it is important for you to know this and always remember this, because when people uh, speak of holiness and righteousness, oftentimes the grace of God is left aside and you end up with legalism. And when you have legalism, you eventually have death because that's all legalism is. And I think most of us, anybody who grew up maybe in the older type churches, um, there was a lot of legalism back in the days. A lot of them was well-intended. A lot of the people back in the day meant well. But unfortunately, when you end up with just rules without grace, you end up with a legalistic, cold form of Christianity. And when you have that, you have failures. And in order to keep up with a certain facade, then you have secret sin. So anybody who grew up in churches, holiness churches, and things like that, you know a lot of stuff going around that you don't see when you just walk by, you look. But you see there's a lot of secrecy, and because you have a legalistic form of religion. And that is the problem that we've had in the past, and the reaction to that has been to go all the way to the other side and say you don't need none of that. You just need Jesus. You just got Jesus in your life, you're good to go. You can live the way you want to live. As long as you're good, you know what I'm saying? You don't rob a bank or something. But if you're good, you can live, you know, you just believe in God. God is there for you. God's going to help you out. He's going to get you that job you want. He's going to get you that money. And he's your buddy and he's your friend. Both of these positions are completely wrong and unbiblical. Okay? The biblical position is we are called to live a life of holiness. But we're strengthened to live it by the grace of God. And when we fail, we can come to the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that he's going to be able to handle whatever it is that we fail. So this needs to be kept in the back of your mind before, because if it doesn't, if you lose sight of your own weaknesses and your own failings and the grace and power of God, you end up with legalism. Okay? That being said, we're going to begin... Our study, starting today, is going to be a brief introduction that I'm going to give you on the issue of perseverance and eternal security. Long story short, we're going to be talking about whether or not a Christian can lose their salvation, right? Because when you talk about issues of perseverance, this is the type of stuff that sort of comes up, all right? What happens if a Christian does not persevere? What happens when a Christian or a person who is a believer falls away? All of these things come up, and so we end up speaking about the issue of eternal security. I don't know if you guys remember, 
some time ago, I said that we are in the section of our series where there's disagreements and their Christians disagree about things. This is one of those issues. I could have skipped over this issue and just blow through it and not say anything, but controversy is good, okay? So we're gonna talk about it, all right? So eternal security, what does that mean? What is, what is, what is the doctrine? What is it that it teaches? Now, um, before we begin, I have to say that this is an in-house debate, as we have said. This is a Christian versus Christian thing. Nobody's going to hell here. Nobody is off outside of the Christian faith, okay? This is similar to when we covered the issue of Calvinism, Reformed theology, and all of that stuff. So this is an in-house debate. So I want to look at the issue uh, very briefly, give you a brief introduction, and then in the next couple of sermons, we continue on. Okay, so what is the doctrine of eternal security? I have a quote here for doc from Dr. Harry Ironside from a book he wrote called The Eternal Security of the Believer. This is what he says. He says, when we speak of the eternal security of the believer, we mean once a poor sinner has been regenerated by the word and the spirit of God, once he has received a new life and a new nature and has been made partaker of the divine nature, once he has been justified from every charge before the throne of God, it is absolutely impossible that that man should ever again be a lost soul. So the idea of eternal security is once a person is saved, if that person is truly saved, he can never again be unsaved. He can never be, again be lost. He can never, quote unquote, lose that salvation. Okay? Now, this is by far probably the most accepted popular doctrine in American Christianity. Okay, so the list of preachers who believe in this is huge. Dr. Charles Stanley, Tony Evans, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, Chuck Swindle, Matt Chandler, Andy Stanley, J. Vernon McGee, good old J. Vernon McGee, John Piper, Adrian Rogers, God bless him, passed away years ago, uh, Tim Keller, Mike Dever, all the Reformed folks, um, many denominations like the Southern Baptist Convention has this in their statement of faith, Calvary Chapel, other non-denominational movements such as Acts 29, the Presbyterian churches, Reformed Baptist churches, pretty much most of the mainstream, mainline folks that you see on TV and read hold to this teaching. Okay, so this is not some weird heresy taught by a bunch of weird people. This is mainline, mainstream teaching. Okay, so the reason I say that because there may be some people who say things like that. Okay. But it is not. Most of your serious Bible teachers that you see on TV, uh, most of the non-TBN crazy stuff, you know, the serious people hold to this teaching. All right? So that's the number one. There's another, there's another preacher that you know that also holds to this view. I'm not going to say his name. So a couple of things, a couple of rules. What do we all agree on? I'm going to start there. Okay? This is what we all should agree on. Number one. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus apart from works. We've covered that. Okay, nothing that you bring into the table is going to get you any favor with God. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. You don't bring anything. The only contribution you make for your salvation is your sinning. That's it. Okay, other than that, you bring nothing. It's all of God. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay? Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God have been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation, mercy seat, by His blood to be received by faith. All right? All that we all should agree on. If you don't agree with that, then you are outside of the faith. Okay? We are saved by grace, through faith in Christ Jesus alone. All right? Number two, not everyone who calls himself a Christian is a Christian. Okay? So the reason I say this is because uh, we're not speaking about simply people who come to church in and out, who call themselves believers and are not. When we say, can a Christian fall away from the faith, what we're talking about, can a genuine, redeemed Christian Okay, not somebody who just visits church or whatever, a true believer fall away from the church. Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so this is not the eternal security of the Sunday church goer or the person who says, I'm a Christian because I was raised in church, etc. This is the perseverance and eternal security of a genuine believer. Okay, so that's number two. Number three. Something that we all should agree on is that we need to have grace and patience towards one another when we disagree. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that we should sing kumbaya or et cetera. If you have a conviction or a passion about something, that you should go all out on it. You should stand your ground. You shouldn't flinch. But what I mean is that we should not assume bad things about people, et cetera, based on disagreements. All right? Now, does that mean that if a church wants to have it in their statement of faith, this is what we believe? That's perfectly fine. If you don't agree with that, you go to another church. That's perfectly fine. You can still say, hi, you're my brother in Christ. You meet over there. I meet over here. Some churches are able to exist with people who hold to some certain different beliefs. That's also perfectly fine. For example, in this church, Pastor Bolden holds that once a Christian is saved, he cannot fall away and be lost. Okay? I, on the other hand, believe that a Christian can fall away and be lost. Okay? So somehow, we were able to exist, and it's not a big issue, all right? One day we'll be in heaven, Jesus will sit down with Pastor Bolden and <laughs> explain to him the error of his ways, but till then, we can agree to disagree, okay? So I believe that a Christian can fall away from the faith and be lost, all right? But lastly, but number three is, we should agree to disagree and have patience towards one another. All right, so wherever you may fall in this issue, it's not the end of the world. Some people make it the end of the world. Okay, I've been into discussion forums when people say, you know, Dr. Charles Stanley, he's just an evil man, he's wicked, he has an agenda. First of all, God bless him. What is he, like 80 years old? He's not, he's not trying to bring nothing down, Dr. Charles Stanley. He's a godly man who loves the Lord. If, he may, if you may have disagreements with some of his stuff, that's perfectly fine. So we're we going to avoid a lot of that type of stuff because that's not biblical. That's something we should all agree on. Okay? 
Furthermore, I'm gonna give you four different views, okay, of the eternal security. Actually, two views of eternal security and two views of what I call conditional security. And uh, two of which are unbiblical, two of which I believe are biblical, though they disagree. I know that sounds weird, but I'll explain. Okay, here's going to be two issues on eternal security, okay? Once saved, always saved, whatever you want to call it. Okay, you have two views. This one I call unconditional eternal security. These are the people who believe that once you get your ticket stamp, you're going to heaven. Meaning, once you get saved, you're going to go to heaven. You should live holy. You should live righteous. That's better than living in sin. If you live in sin, there might be some punishments that may happen to you. You may have a harder life, but that has nothing to do with your salvation. You are positionally saved, though conditionally you may be struggling or going through sin or whatever. Okay, That's one position. The other position that some other people hold to is perseverance of the saints. This means that when a saint is saved, he will persevere in holiness. In other words, he will live a life of holiness, of righteousness, though he may struggle for some time, he's gonna come back up and he's gonna continue on, and built into his security is also his perseverance, okay? So here, your life, your righteous living um, is something that you should do. I don't want to say it's an option because that's not how they teach it. But it's something that you should do. But it has nothing to do with your salvation. Your salvation was taken care of by Jesus back then when you got saved. Okay? This one says if you are truly saved, then you will persevere in the faith. Here, if you fall away, you can still be saved. You may have a bad life. Your marriage may fall apart. God may take you home early than you should, whatever, but you're still good. Here, if you fall away and you stay fall away, you were never saved. You're never truly saved to begin with because a truly saved person will continue on persevering. Okay? Now, here, depending on how this view is taught, it could be unbiblical, meaning there are some people who hold to this view, okay, not everybody who holds to this view necessarily teaches the same way, that believe that you can live however you please and go to heaven. You can even become, in some cases, a Muslim and still go to heaven after you get saved. That is a dangerous view, okay? Very dangerous view. So there are some people within here. Now, the reason I did this is because I don't want some, there are some people on my side of the fence who say everybody who holds to eternal security, boom, you can live however you want and go to heaven. That's not true. Not everybody who holds to eternal security believes that, okay? There are some people who believe that the truly saved saint will persevere, okay? So not everybody who holds to this believes in this. And not everybody who believes in this necessarily teaches the same way. Okay? Very complicated. Okay. 
On the other hand, you have what I call conditional security. Conditional security means that the saint is secure on the condition that he remains in the faith. Okay, so you're secure in your salvation, provided that you remain in the faith, that you continue perseverance. So your, your security, your salvation is conditionated upon your faith. All right, now within this camp, you have two views. One, which I called the every Sunday saved, okay? And these are the folks who are losing their salvation every Tuesday, and they're getting it back every Sunday. So these, these guys go to every altar call. Um, they go to every, like, uh, event, campaign, whatever you call it, and they're getting saved about three times a week. These people believe that once you sin, you fall away, and you need to come back, and you're backslidden, and you need to come back to Christ. I call this the every Sunday, and I can say that because I've grown up in circles that do that in practice. I find this to be a false. Now, depending how this is taught again, this could be a false teaching. The Bible makes it clear, like I just read to you, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous that the saint is not always going in and out, okay? That's not what this doctrine is supposed to teach. Now, there are those who teach it this way, okay? Both of these views, depending on how they taught, this one and this one can be dangerous, okay? The other one is the one that a lot of us hold to, which is the doctrine, I don't have a name for it, but I just say proper. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Conditional security, all right? God's way. The idea here is that a, a saint is secure in his salvation, and though it is conditioned on faith, it is not conditioned on works. This is what happens here. A lot of these people, depending how this is taught, can teach that you're saved by grace, but then you're kept by works. Okay, that's false. The Apostle Paul said it. Have you been gone in the spirit? Are you perfected by works? Of course not. Okay? Our salvation is by grace through faith throughout. The difference is that faith, the way that faith can be affected by sin, is that when the saint, when sin takes over a saint's life, the faith can begin to diminish. And it's not a quick thing. It may take a long time. But through a period of a long time, a saint can fall away from the faith. We call it apostasy and be lost. It's not a one-time event. It may be a long period of neglect, a long period of being away from God, a long period, and the faith begins to diminish. Let me give you an example of that in Hebrews. Of course, this is based on our interpretation, and I'm not getting into the different interpretations now. This is an introduction, okay? But in Hebrews, Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as, as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what he says, the way that we would interpret this, is that the exhortation is to not have an unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God and that none of you may be hardened by sin. So it's not that sin 
takes you away is that sin diminishes your faith. And as your faith diminishes, then a, a saint can fall away from the faith eventually. That's what I believe is the biblical position. Both of these positions can be dangerous depending on how they're taught. Okay? There's some people on this side that make it basically, once you get, like I said, your ticket stamp, you're good to go, and then your life has nothing to do with your salvation. I think that's dangerous. The way that that is taught can be dangerous. Okay? I think this may be a biblical position. I don't agree with it. What I believe in practice is most faithful to the text. And I'll say the same thing about this position. So in practice, this is the interesting part, these two look the same Amen. in practice. Amen. So in practice, the people who believe in this <laughs> are going to live more or less to the people who believe and practice this. You're not going to really be able to tell the difference between them. It's just a difference of understanding and interpretations of certain texts. Okay? These folks... I think are also dangerous because in, in people who are in this camp, the everyday Sunday saved folks, it just comes to the point where the gospel and salvation becomes like a joke, yeah. Yeah. right? You can go in and out, there's, you know, and then it's salvation by works and you have to live a certain way and you have to wear certain pants and things like that and you're always getting kicked out and coming back in and getting kicked out and rededicating your life, rededicate your life, rededicate your life. Okay, some people will be rededicated their lives like 19 times, okay? That is a dangerous position, I believe. This position, like I said, in practice is the same as this. So I hold that these two are biblical, though they're opposite, meaning in the sense that at least in practice, they both end up with the proper Christian life. These two, I believe, can be dangerous. Depending on how this is taught, it could be dangerous. Depending on how that is taught, which most of the time is taught wrong, it could be dangerous too. All right? So those are the four positions. This is my brief introduction on eternal security or conditional security. Now, I will say one thing. The next two sermons, I will break down the different verses that, are, that people disagree, so that way you guys can see from the different points of view. Um, I will try to represent the opposite position as best as I can um, and also present the, why is it that I believe the way that I believe. Nevertheless, irregardless where you end up on this issue, okay, there's only there's one thing that is clear. If you go to Micah chapter 6, verse 6, I want you to see this in Micah chapter 6, verse 6. At the end of the day, I believe this is what ultimately matters. It goes like this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so at the end of the day, I believe whatever you may end up with this, in these issues, what matters ultimately, as this verse says, is that we do justice, we love kindness, and we walk humbly with our God. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have preserved your scriptures for us down to this day. And we thank you for being our mercy seat, for being an atonement, for being our high priest, Lord, and for opening the gates of grace towards all of us, Lord, including and more especially those of us who believe. I pray, Lord, that you may be with us throughout the week, that your grace may strengthen us, Lord, that we may read your word, Lord, and receive grace from you uh, throughout the week, Lord. And as we always remember that you were just like us and you can sympathize with our weaknesses, Lord. And if we fail during the week, that we may come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace in a time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.